Hello, welcome to Uva Radio News. I'm Nora and I'm here with Niall. How are you, Niall? Yeah, I'm good, Nora. How are you? I'm great. Good. Yeah. So this episode, we have some very interesting topics. We're going to start discussing the conflict that's happening in Azerbaijan with Armenia. And then we'll carry on to talk about a new medication that might help people with dwarfism grow and the ethical implications of that. And then, of course, we're going to finish off with Trump having COVID. Great. Yes. (laughs) So to begin, um, in Azerbaijan, they are currently disputing over this region that is called the Karakabah region. And it is officially part of Azerbaijan. Yes, the government, that I- the people that are running the country are actually from Armenia. Well, how did, and how it did is that made happen? up of mostly Armenians. Right, okay. Yes. So basically, um, there was a war from 1988 to 1994. And at the end of that war, um, our, the region wanted you know, to become part of Armenia. But right. it didn't actually happen. So right. what they did instead was less Armenians run the country, but it is still internationally seen as part of Azerbaijan. Right, that's messy. Yes, yes, so that's the problem. So at the moment, Azerbaijan won't let them go, but they're saying, nah, we want to be part of Armenia. Yeah, okay. Yes, and the big problem now at the moment is all of the other countries are starting to get involved. Right. So as you may not know, um, Turkey is helping out Azerbaijan because Turkey has a very long history against Armenia. Yes. Like, of course, uh, the genocide, yes. the Armenian genocide was done by Turkey many years ago. Yeah. Uh, they still deny it. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think it was a million and a half Armenians died. Yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. there's, you know, that's um, not the kind of thing that either side are going to forget quickly, oh, no, even a no, hundred years not. later. Yes, yeah. So at the moment, um, it's been proven that Turkey is paying syrian rebels to fight for azerbaijan oh wow and they're paying them a lot i think it's something like a 1500 a month oh wow yeah yeah and of course like if you're coming from syria you know you're gonna want the money so yeah. a lot of them are signing up for this yeah it's a yeah, huge yeah. incentive yeah yeah even um the air force also turkey is paying for a lot of um airplanes right you know to fly in azerbaijan right and there's nothing that the armenians can do about it no so i heard about uh, a Turkish jet? Yes. Uh, no, sorry, an Armenian jet being shot down by Turkey. So Armenia claims. Yes, yes, yes. Well, at the moment, Azerbaijan is uh, denying everything also. Yeah, like yeah, they yeah. deny that that didn't happen. They're also denying that Turkey is sending over the Syrian um, troops. Right, okay. Yeah. And who else is involved in this? I mean, you said that there were other international players. Yes, well, also Ru- uh, Russia is in a funny position because they're sort of in the middle. Right. So Russia actually has a military base in Armenia, but then they also have a lot of ties with Azerbaijan due to the Soviet Union. Right. So Russia actually... Azerbaijan and Armenia were both Soviet countries once upon a time. Yes, yes. And Russia um, actually doesn't want the fighting to continue. Yeah. Um, They actually uh, suggested to use Moscow as the area to have the peace negotiations in. But I don't think that's going to happen anytime soon. But because it's too, I mean, it sounds like the the violence is escalating on both sides. Yeah, yeah. Like every day it's getting worse. Like we're recording this now on a Friday. But by Sunday, I presume that um, the death toll will have gone up. Like at the moment, it's about 130 people have died. Okay. And is that soldiers, civilians? 
Um, it's yeah. Well, it's like both really. Right. Yeah, okay. and actually, there's um, a lot of journalists have been injured. Oh wow! Yeah, there's one journalist in particular is French, and he's currently um, in critical condition. Wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, and we have no idea really where this is going. I, I guess we just hope that it doesn't get too much worse. Yeah. Yeah. I think. See, the problem um, is a lot of the outside forces. Yeah. Like um, the Turkey's president has said that the, that they won't stop until all of the Armenians are out of Azerbaijan. Wow. And like the area is, of course, m- majorly made up of people from Armenia. Yeah. So I don't know how that's going to happen. No. You know? And it does seem like this strange continuation of decades and decades of fixation on Armenia and Armenians by Turkey. Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. So that's like the reason why Turkey is siding with Azerbaijan. Right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, hopefully by Sunday, when you're listening to this, listeners, uh, yes. things have improved somewhat. But I guess this is one we'll just have to wait and see. But of course, if next week um, things have escalated or in fact got better, we'll definitely give an update. Yes. Yes, of course. Yeah. Okay. All right. Well, on to a different story now. Um, and one that depending on which side of the debate you're going to sit with this, and I'd be interested to see what you think, this could be seen as either a good thing or a bad thing. So it's a medical breakthrough, and it's to do with a condition called acho... Let me get this right. (laughs) Achondroplasia. Achondroplasia. Achondroplasia, which is the most common form of dwarfism, which is a genetic condition. So there's a new drug which is being tested at the moment. It's in the third phase, which means that it's been proven to be safe. And now they're just seeing how effective it is. And it's being trialed with a lot of children who have been born with uh, achondroplasia. So the article I read on this, it gave a case study of a, a boy called Samuel. And it seems like the... Uh, the drug is being transformative for his quality of life. He is growing 50% faster than would be expected of a oh, child. Wow. Yeah. 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 Um, it means, which means very specifically, it's it's really improving his quality of life. So one issue that children and indeed adults with this form of dwarfism have is that with shorter arms, it's very difficult to do day-to-day tasks yes, like dress course, yourself, yeah. wash your own hair, all of which he's able to do. Yeah, and that gives him a huge amount of independence now. Exactly, especially because his legs as well, um, there is often uh, one of the side effects or side effects. One of the um, one way this condition can manifest is to give bowed legs, which can make it very difficult to walk. His legs are very straight. So not only does this mean that he's able to walk and play and all of that stuff, but it also means that he's unlikely to need the surgeries, sometimes multiple surgeries, that children and adults with this condition do need in order to straighten their legs and to to sort all the other problems that come with what is in effect a condition that affects your bone growth. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, it's not just that you're small. There's also a whole lot of other medical side effects. Absolutely. Yeah. Some of which um, can very much cause early death. You know, there's paralysis involved because it affects the spine, um, sleep apnea, uh, and just living with daily pain. And the doctors who are observing the trial and administering this drug say they're seeing physical, psychological and, you know, functional benefits in, in most of the children. And they're just generally healthier. So basically, this is about improving the quality of everyday life, removing pain and making it possible for these kids to do things that they wouldn't be able to do otherwise. Yes, of course. Yeah. Yeah. So it sounds great. But at the same time, I can imagine there's this whole other side of the debate that is saying 
is this entirely ethical? Yes, there yes, is. Because, of course, the quality of the child's life is definitely improving. But at the same time, a lot of um, disability rights activists, I can imagine, are saying, well, what about like the struggles of uh, people with dwarfism? Because for so many years, um, I feel like the, that community has been working very, very hard to be taken seriously and to like say that they're embracing their disability. Yeah. 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 But I guess society doesn't work for them you know like with this new drug it's almost being like um um instead of like um creating more jobs and everything for them to fit in it's like they have to change themselves to fit in that's exactly it that's there is a debate and that's exactly what it centers on so and it makes sense right because if you have a condition which invites a lot of social stigma and as well as kind of um practical hindrances about what you can and can't do with your life you're going to start to try to find a way of belonging. You you don't feel like you necessarily belong in mainstream society. Mm-hmm. Often mainstream society is using you as the butt of jokes and, yeah. you know, that still happens. Yeah. Um, so communities form and, and people with dwarfism come together and they start to uh, give each other support and they identify as a group. Yes, And this yes. gives you a lot of a sense of identity yes. and a sense of belonging. Yes, yes, of course. Yeah. Which is really you know is crucial to all of us it's it's a fundamental part of the human condition and now suddenly you're saying to you're saying to them well you can change if you want you can leave that in group and become more like other people yeah yeah and it's completely taking that away from them you know yeah yeah yeah. yeah. but also yeah and also the point that why should i change why shouldn't society of course yeah. yeah because i think that um you see, I grew up with a brother who's blind right. and he himself said that if there is a, a cure for blindness, then he doesn't actually think that he would take it right. because it's such a big part of his identity and right. he's worked really, really hard for disability rights, you know. And I think that um, in general, we view disabled people uh, very, very differently than we do as other marginalized groups. Mm. Like even if you think about the LGBT community, um they're like of course they you know they embrace who they are and they live with who they are and that's great so if there was say some scientist who was like okay um i'm going to create a drug that will make everyone straight so gay people no longer have to face discrimination of course you can imagine the backlash would be hey the gay community would say well we're happy yeah there's nothing being the way that we are like why should there's nothing wrong with me Yeah, yeah 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 but i think that we automatically see disabled people as something that need to be improved upon yeah yeah. yeah yeah that's why i think it's hard for us to see them and be like oh yeah yeah no that's fine like they should stay that the way that they are yeah yeah and yeah. it's you know it's made more difficult by the fact that uh 80 of children with this form of dwarfism are born to parents who don't have it yes okay and of course the child isn't old enough to make this decision for themselves of course the parent can say you know would you like to try this and it can make you a bit taller and this that, yeah. and the other and the child but we have to go with the idea that kids can't make these kind of balanced, thoughtful, philosophical decisions for themselves. So mm-hmm. another pushback from some in the dwarfism community is, well, why is it OK for the parents to decide that their child needs to be fixed? Yeah. Why, you know, why that child should be able to determine for themselves whether or not they're happy being who they were born. As. Yeah. Yeah. But I feel like it's such a big decision to make at the start. Of someone's life. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because like you're going to have a very different life if you grow up with a disability or if you don't. For sure. Yeah. Like For this sure. whole discussion kind of reminds me of the whole uh, designer babies. Yes. Thing. Yes. I feel like it's very similar to that. And 
I don't know, I won't be surprised if in like 30 years down the line, something like designer babies where people are able to edit you know, their children's genes. Yeah, well, it, you know, it's pretty all, common. Uh, we, yeah, yeah. Uh, it's definitely a prospect. I mean, the thing is that you can understand, and there are people within the dwarfism community who say, look, this, is, this can prevent the need for surgery. It can prevent a life of physical pain. Yeah. It can prevent a life of um, not being able to do all the things that you would want to do. And so to remove pain and to enable someone to overcome otherwise insurmountable barriers there are there are supporters yeah, it's within the hard to argue against that for, for sure yeah, yeah but your point about the designer babies is right so on the one hand there are those in the scientific community who say well if we have the ability to edit genes and we know that without editing a child is going to have a serious condition or a disease is it isn't it unethical to not solve that problem and ensure mm-hmm. that that child has a better quality of life and I can I can see that side of the argument, but the other side of it is that with the ability to edit genes, I mean, look at look at mankind. You know that the reaction to that is going to be if that was kind of uh, open season on you can basically change anything you want about your baby. Yeah, so much of it would be superficial. Oh, for sure. Cosmetic. Like people, like we have the option to surgically enhance ourselves, and loads of people do. Yeah, you know what I mean. So like yeah. that's not surprising at all. But it's quite worrying because like. Who are the people, though, that are going to be able to edit the genes of their babies? The rich. Like the rich. Yeah. So are we just going to have this upper class of like super attractive, super smart people, whereas only the poor people will be the ones that are Burdened not able to like just born yeah. normal, normal. Exactly. Yeah. 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 The one the flawed. <laughs> yeah. 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 Human. Yes, exactly. There you go. Yeah. yeah. Um, so it's very interesting. And uh yeah, so I mean, you say within the next 30 years, there was a big milestone, not necessarily in a positive way. Um, I'm sure maybe you and also some of you at home remember the story of a Chinese scientist whose name is He uh, Zhangqui. Mm-hmm. Um, in 2018, he stood up at a conference, a medical conference in Hong Kong and claimed to have created three genetically modified children, uh, two of whom were twins. And the modification that he said he had achieved was to edit a gene so that the children would not be able to contract HIV. Okay. And there's this gene that naturally occurs, um, or it's a genetic mutation that naturally occurs in a very, very small percentage of people who it means that essentially HIV when it gets into your body can't latch on to cells and essentially insert itself and start yes. to wreak havoc okay. within yeah. your body so that naturally occurs and the scientist said well I have um, artificially created this modification in these children and he's in prison now what? yeah in pr- he, he got what, uh, what about the parents did they ask for that the parents were sold a lie well they were oh. number one the father had HIV, the mother mm-hmm. didn't, but it meant that it was very difficult for them to have children naturally. Yeah. The offer from the scientist was, I will, in exchange for you allowing me to do this, I will pay for very expensive IVF treatment. So what you get out of this is children that you wouldn't have been able to have otherwise, okay. which for someone who wants kids, I mean... You can't really say no to very that. Very difficult you know, to say no yeah. to, yeah. Um, but they were sold a lie in that the scientist claimed that he had certification from a, an ethical board that said, "We this is ethical, uh, it's allowed okay, to happen. Okay, yeah. That was forged. Um, yes. so, so now he's in prison. Now he's in prison. He got a three-year sentence in China. Um, 
And I mean, the worst thing is that uh, MIT, the university in America, they reviewed uh, one of the scientist's papers and they cast doubts on whether or not the um, his work had even worked oh, to yeah. be able to prevent these kids from getting yeah, HIV. Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, it just... it. You understand that I understand the compulsion to want to try and improve people and prevent us from getting diseases that can kill us and ruin our lives. I do understand that. But there was a huge ethical line that was crossed by going ahead and trying to play God. Yes, exactly, exactly. And I guess he's almost using those children as like his own science experiment. Exactly. You know, like imagine being those kids yeah. growing up now. Yeah. 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 Um, so, yeah, that's that story. And, a, and an interesting debate. But let's move on to our final story. So, uh, as I'm sure the entire world has heard by now, Trump and his wife Melania apparently have tested positive for COVID-19. Yes. So this seems like a particularly, um, I I mean, I didn't see this coming. Although, maybe Uh, we should have seen it coming because he's not exactly the most careful guy. No. In fact, he rails against the need for masks. And I think it was in the first debate on Tuesday, he had a go at Biden for wearing a mask. He, he basically called, he was insinuating I know, that the Biden irony. was... Yeah. 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 Um, but so for those of you who haven't heard uh, the whole story, I'll give you a quick update. So where are we? We're Friday right now. So last night on Thursday, Trump put out a tweet at 1am saying that he and Melania are tested positive and would now quarantine. Um, it's thought that they caught it from Hope Hicks a White House counsellor and one of Trump's closest aides who started showing symptoms while she was flying home on Air Force One ah, oh, right. on yes. Wednesday evening yes. after a campaign rally. Um, on the plane also were other members of Trump's family as well as a bunch of officials. Yes, yeah. So, you know, she definitely could have super spread amongst the very the very group of people yeah, that yeah, yeah. You, you probably wouldn't want to super spread amongst, i.e. your government. Um so the, the president's doctor has downplayed the severity of it. He said, the president and first lady are both well at this time and they plan to remain at home within the White House during their convalescence. Okay. He also said that he expects Trump to continue carrying out his duties without disruption while recovering. What? That's what he okay. says. But, but wait, what does that mean for the next debates that are coming up? Well, exactly. There are all these questions. The whole the whole kind of campaign and everything has been thrown into disarray. So, I mean, naturally, at least for the next couple of weeks, um, Trump is going to have to cancel all his campaign rallies, uh. which is very bad for him because he has been trailing Joe Biden in the polls consistently now for months. <laughs> and these campaign rallies are a crucial tool for him to be able to fire up his base and drum up support. Yeah. Um, It also really, really undermines the message that he's been pushing now, as we saw in the debate when he took the piss out of uh, Biden for wearing a mask. His message that A, COVID isn't that bad and don't be a wimp, but also that the worst of it is over and that, um, you know, there are quotes from Trump saying that uh, the end of the pandemic is in sight. Yeah. And then kind of undermines that message. Yeah. And also like a lot of conspiracy theorists out there. You know, especially in the US, they're saying, ah, yeah. oh, COVID is all a lie, it's constructed. And yeah. if I'm not wrong, a lot of them seem to be Trump supporters. Yes, yeah. yes, so exactly. And he's been trying to sell them this message that there's nothing really to worry about, get on with it, the economy is really important, you should go back to work, all of this stuff. And also, it it's all about trying to, to distract from the fact that he severely fumbled 
um, the US's response to the pandemic when it first emerged. Yeah. Oh, yeah. That's why he was playing it down. He was like, sure, there's nothing to be worrying about. Yeah. You know, except but- 200,000 dead Americans would yeah. would beg to differ. But do you think that this will change how people view Trump very much? Like, you know, when Boris Johnson got yeah. Corona, I felt like afterwards a lot of British people were like, oh, well done, Boris. You know, like, well done. You defeated the virus. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, yeah. It, it was that. I think, okay. I don't, I don't like to, ind- and this is a news podcast, so let's not indulge too much in conspiracy uh, theories. Yeah, it's hard not to. Yeah, it's hard not to, <laughs> but it's hard not to because Trump is such a liar. We know that. that that's not a conspiracy. Trump yeah. has repeatedly shown that he does not respect the truth. And so why now? Uh, it's, it's quite, I think, a natural reaction to doubt anything that comes out of his mouth or oh, yeah. through his fingers and into a tweet. Um, so... We've, we've spoken about the negative consequences of this. It, it kind of undermines his message and it means he can't go campaigning. But there are also some positives potentially mm-hmm. for Trump about this. Um, first of all is, as you said, Boris Johnson, he too was another world leader who'd been harshly criticised and rightly criticised for mishandling the pandemic, underplaying the severity of it and that leading to far more cases and ultimately deaths than there needed to be. Mm-hmm. So he was really under the cotch. But then he got ill. And sympathy was, you know, even the even his detractors saw the images of him in the ICU and they couldn't help but start to feel sorry for the man. It's a very yes. human thing. Yeah, there is. I'm, I mean, Trump will have seen that. Right. And he yeah. knows that right now what he could use is also some positivity, whether that's sympathy or people sending their thoughts and prayers. As oh, I'm my sure God. They yeah, will. yeah. He's going to love that. Yeah. Well, that's if he survives it. If that's if he survives it, quite. <laughs> to be honest. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let's let's hope those thoughts and prayers, uh, prayers are particularly potent. Um, <laughs> so there's that. He could he could improve his reputation and all that stuff. But then he could also, on a very practical side, he could avoid. He will, I think. I mean, this is we're talking about next week. If he's quarantining, surely he's going to avoid the next debate. He won't be able to do that unless they try and do it through yeah. Zoom. Is that a good thing for him? Oh my God, imagine. It's a good thing it for him. Zoom. I mean, I don't know how much you saw of the last one. Oh, it was a mess. It was horrible. It, oh my God, it wasn't even a to debate, watch. to be honest. It no. was just like watching two drunk old men fighting. Yeah. yeah. But given, even so, Trump came off worse and he uh, was the interrupter. Yes, yes, he, was course, the, yeah. he looked like the more erratic and out of control of the two men and I think it it damaged his reputation even further if that's possible Mm -hmm. so perhaps a good thing for him to be able to avoid that whilst also being able to garner some sympathy from the public yeah 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 because he almost looks like a a martyr you know like a fighter yes yeah um so yeah that's that's what we I mean hey again two days have gone by um something major might have happened but this could be interesting if Trump is incapacitated Mike Pence becomes essentially the leader of the country. If Mike Pence is incapacitated, the responsibility falls to Nancy Pelosi, Speaker of the House and arch nemesis of Donald Trump. It would be very interesting to see what would happen if she was in charge uh, for the last four weeks of this uh, before the election. So it's going to be a crazy couple of weeks while we we see how this plays out. Yeah. Yeah. So... Uh, I'll just finish now with our fun fact. Oh, we finished already. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Let's go. So um, Angela Merkel is deeply afraid of dogs because she was bitten by one in the 90s. Okay. And when she went to meet uh, Putin, he was aware of this. So what Putin did was bring her into the room with his big dog called Connie. 
Okay. So the whole time she was on edge and really, really oh nervous. Oh my God, that's yes. so sly. And to continue with this, uh, the dog Connie has her own Wikipedia page. Oh, great. Okay. Yeah, she's a Labrador, which is actually surprising. I didn't picture him with a Labrador. You no. Know? Yeah. No, maybe he's trying to project that kind of uh, strong man, but with a soft core. Yeah, 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 yes, exactly. Even though he uses the dog, like, for um, Essentially intimidation to intimidate tactics. world leaders. Yes, yeah. That is really, it reminds me of a, I think this might be one of those historical myths, but um, in 1938, Neville Chamberlain, British Prime Minister, goes to meet Hitler to try to negotiate peace. And this was at the point where it looked like Hitler was, or had begun to, and was going to keep on invading everything. Mm-hmm. And so he was trying to talk them down. Um come to some, some kind of peace arrangement. Neville Chamberlain absolutely loved a cigarette. And so the rumour is, or, or the story goes, that Hitler organised the meeting in a chalet where there was a strict no-smoking policy. <laughs> yeah. The idea being that Neville Chamberlain, so desperate for that hit of nicotine, yeah. would essentially give in to anything that Hitler wanted yes. just oh so he could gosh. go outside for a smoke. Um, oh, that's so funny. <laughs> it is funny. It is funny and also potentially uh, altered the course of history much for the worse. So let's hope oh, that wow. <laughs> the consequences of um, Putin and Merkel don't play out in quite the same way. Yeah, but all because of Connie. Yeah, because <laughs> of Connie. These world leaders God. can't trust them as far as you'd throw them. No. Um, I'll also finish up with some events that are coming up, um, even though I know, of course, everything's all up in the air at the moment because yes. of new restrictions. But um, every Friday at um, Mastro Pasteo, probably said that wrong, sorry, um, there is a jazz and cocktail night and also um, in Paradiso on October 10th there is an electric living room which a is what? basically um, I think it's mostly like electric music and it's all socially distanced oh okay fine. so it's a nice like chilled out vibe oh, nice. all right <laughs> yeah, cool yeah. just be, get very fidgety on the couch while the techno bangs <laughs> yeah. um, great all right. Well, thanks, Nora. Oh, yeah. Thank you, Niall. And we'll thank you, everyone at home. We'll see you soon. Yes, yeah, see you soon. Bye.